0: everybody to the hockey think tank podcast brought to you by the HockeythinkTank.com, a website for all players parents and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet what an episode we have for you guys here today we bring on the newest Entrant into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, Brian G. Anta. Brian grew up in the great city of Rochester, New York, Uh, Played his college hockey at Boston College, where he was a three time runner up for the Hobie Baker Award and also national champion captain in his senior year. Uh, After that, uh, he signed, or actually, he was drafted by the New Jersey Devils and uh, signed with them, where he won a Stanley Cup in 2003. Uh, He also uh, has played for the Montreal Canadiens, the Buffalo Sabres, and the end of his career with the Boston Bruins. Uh, He was the captain of the United States Olympic team in the past. Olympics. Played over a thousand games in the NHL. uh, Almost 300 goals and 600 points. Uh, Not a bad resume. (laughs) So uh, really cool to get Brian on the podcast here with us. Uh, But before we do get to him, let's bring on another talent, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, how are we doing today?
1: I'm doing glorious, my esteemed colleague. Uh, (laughs) It's a beautiful day here in sunny St. Louis. Woke up, 5 a.m., got some of the boys in before school, had a couple buddies I trained, and then, uh, you know, got to talk to the most recent entrant, which is a word I have never heard before. I don't even know if that's a word. Oh, okay. (laughs) When you said that, I went, is that a word? If it is, I'm embarrassed I don't know it, but you did go to Cornell, so I just went with it. I'm going to believe it. I am uh, too.
0: Just just to get, we'll have to look that up later.
1: All right. Well, hopefully it is one. Well, the newest entrant we'll go with. Uh, <laughs> pretty cool talking to Geo. Great guy. Uh, loved his thought process. And you know, you, it's so funny when we talk to people who were captains uh during their career or currently still playing or they have been a captain they just talk differently the way that they think the way they um, hold themselves the way they hold conversations it's always really interesting to me to look back on those those talks and podcasts that we've had and uh he's clearly somebody who's been a captain a lot in his career
0: yeah I mean played 16 seasons he was a captain or he wore a letter for nine of them and he wore a C for seven of them (laughs) I mean that's (laughs) that's pretty good for sure. But yeah, his perspective on the game and um, just hearing him talk about his preparation. I mean, uh, when he came in, like there were very few guys at his size that were playing in the NHL. I mean, it's a little bit more commonplace today with the way that the game has changed. Uh, but you know, he was unbelievably smart, unbelievably skilled, but also unbelievably re- uh, determined. And uh, to hear him talk about his process and what he did uh, to prepare himself to be the best that he can be, I mean, it's it's something that for for uh, you know all the kids that are going to be listening um, is incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said. 16, 17 years ago, there were very few guys his size in the NHL. You had to be extraordinary and and just be so mentally tough to to go through each level. And he even touched it on the podcast. And we had Jeff Lurg on the podcast. When he was saying that, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, all right, well, you dominated uh, midgets. You're not going to be good at juniors. Then you got to go to juniors and reprove yourself. All right, you're playing juniors. Well, you're good. You're not going to be that good in college. Then you got to go to college, reprove yourself again. And it sounded like he just had to keep doing that. And he obviously did. He wound up playing over 1,000 games in the NHL. So that's very cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, he's just like you can tell from the conversation, just an unreal guy. And he's come down uh, to Ithaca uh, for our charity games and playing our charity games a couple times. And um, you, you can really tell a lot about people and how they interact in those kind of situations because I feel like there's some guys who are kind of like they're – to fulfill a requirement almost but like he's one of those guys that's there and he's you know he's meeting everybody and he's happy to be there and you know there's a ton of kids with special needs that are around and he's interacting with them and smiling and laughing and uh, I mean there's a reason why he was a captain for so long in the NHL and it was very cool to hear his process um, not just on the game but his philosophies on leadership and, and just the type of person that he was
1: yeah, you know, we talked a lot about culture in the locker room and, and culture within teams and stuff like that. And, you know, when you're a good leader, you you have to be selfless. Like even even if you're, you know, obviously everybody's always thinking about their stats in the game because that's going to get you paid. But it's not just about stats, especially at the highest level. Um, you know, you have to be selfless. You have to care about others. You have to know what's going on and others lives on and off the ice to help. Them, which will also help the team. And I always think about like being a leader and, and like you just said, going to the Rackers game and and he, you know, you could tell that he was there to like really be there. There's a line from, you're going to think I'm a total nerd saying this, a Marvel movie, Spider Man, where they say, with great power comes great responsibility. And I always try and think about that if I go to a charity game or or I'm going to help a youth team, like, you know, just for free going there to give my time. Like, yes, you see these guys who go there and it's awesome that they're going there they're showing up but sometimes they go and they show up and they're just they're just there you know what i mean and it's like man like you're going there and you're literally making somebody's year like you being there if you're an nhl guy if you're you know one of those you know a a Gianta type guy not me but like you know (laughs) those other people but i mean even if you're not still go there and make a difference make their day like with that that elevated status you have from playing or from you know, running a business or whatever, like with, with that great power, like comes great responsibility, give a little bit back, teach some other people who are less fortunate or the next generation who are younger from your hometown, like whatever. And it's really cool. I mean, I would have guessed he's that guy without even you telling me that I would have guessed that he's that type of guy. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah yeah for sure it was cool to get his take a little bit on the youth hockey circuit now too because uh, it was funny a couple of years ago he had just retired and um, I got a text from him because I had written in some article on, on the website on the hockey think tank site like uh, just about you know the craziness of youth hockey and he texted me he's like dude you are not kidding <laughs> he's like this is nuts uh, but having more people like Brian uh, to to kind of share his story and his values and, and uh, how he goes about doing things I think is is so good for for everybody to hear you know the parents the kids the the coaches I think everybody um could get something out of this episode for sure
1: yeah I agree Matt you're so right youth hockey it's so nuts dude like it, and it's it's hard for everyone involved like I was thinking about it the other day from like the coaches standpoint too like all the parents want you to make their kid the next NHL superstar all right the likelihood of that is is very small but you also don't want to discourage that because somebody in there could be the next NHL superstar and you want to teach them to go after their dreams and to work hard for everything they have. But at the same time, they're children. You want it to be fun. They've got to learn all these other things and not just be a hockey robot. So like there's, you know, and then as a kid standpoint, it's, you see all these other kids doing this. So you got to do it. And the parents are like, well, I just want to help him reach his dreams for the most part. But then some parents are like, oh my God, I'm going to make my kid get to the show. I'm going to, I'm going to, give him every opportunity and push him into it. And, you know, there's so many factors coming into like how you can help these kids be better and make it a good experience and make them learn the life lessons. You know, it's definitely a, a hard murky water that I, I see why a lot of people, you know, might get caught up in, in doing what we at least think are, you know, maybe, I don't know, for lack of a better word, the wrong things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, It's great. It was cool hearing him talk about his childhood too. I think we got it right at the beginning when he was talking about, uh, you know, playing street hockey and and the fact that he had had two brothers and they kind of grew up competing with each other and how that unstructured play um, that a lot of people are talking about, a lot of research being done, how that is such a huge thing in in developing your hockey skills and hockey sense and everything like that. Um, You know, so uh, just kind of hearing him talk about that stuff and the way that he did it was was really really interesting and and just more <laughs> more anecdotal evidence to making how making it fun can can help your kid and, and help you as a parent enjoy your experience and, and become better.
1: I agree, and too like those games like you know street hockey, ball hockey, shinny, shinny hockey, like doing all these different things, having fun on the ice, you know, in the summer or once a week. Not going out there and doing practice, practice, practice all the time uh, in the summer, at least like it teaches you to be creative and to think up new ways to stick handle, new ways to shoot, new moves to do. Like one of my favorite things to do with one of my roommates in, in college, Dave Kriske. We'd sit there and we would just think up new breakaway moves. Like, we'd talk about, like, well, what if we came in on this angle and we tried to do this? What if you shifted your hips this way? What would the goalie do? And then we'd bring in a goalie and, and talk to our, our college goalie and, and be like, Swiss, like, what are you seeing? Like, what are you looking at? What? Are you? And then we just kind of have fun with it. Then we'd go out there and after practice, you have a bunch of time, we, we would just start trying things. And that was, like, the most fun I've ever had, like, learning new skills for, like, shootouts and breakaways and then trying it and then challenging the goalie against us and then you know we'd whoever score more goals the other guy'd have to buy him lunch or something you know like that unstructured way of thinking it, it'll help with creativity
0: yeah um your guy's nickname for your goalie
1: was swiss that's not very yeah, nice swiss cheese, swiss <laughs> cheese daniel bellissimo <laughs> yeah that's what i said when i came in like i'm i'm all about especially for higher level guys i'm all about zero negative self-talk like yeah. i don't allow it if somebody in my gym says i can't i look at them in the eye and i'm like don't you ever say that don't you like, let's, let's use different verbiage. Like, I just don't want negative, um, self images and negative self talk. Like I don't allow it. So when I came in, like, and I was that way when I was younger too, they're calling him Swiss. And I'm like, boys, like, I don't want to call him Swiss. Like, that's a tr- <laughs> every time I got to say is like, Hey, I want to talk to you. I got to remind him that he gets scored on a lot. Like this is, you know, obviously it was a joke, but I, I, I didn't like that, but I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Swiss cheese. Thank <laughs> you great goalie. Good player. That's
0: funny. Well, he's, you know, he's got the vowel at the end of his name like you do too, so you you guys stick together. <laughs> uh, well, changing subjects just a little bit. I think it's kind of, you know, crazy that we get Brian on the podcast here today with this call. Uh, and it's Wednesday. Uh, he's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame for for the United States and uh on this day today that we we're, we're recording, um, you know, it's September 11th and uh, obviously a day that uh, changed, uh, changed a lot of our lives, um, you know, and, and put our country kind of in a, in a new direction. And uh, so I wanted to bring it up today because number one, I mean, I think it's pretty crazy that um, you were actually the person that, you know, everybody talks about, like for our parents' generation, right? They know where they were when Kennedy was shot or when Martin Luther King was assassinated. And for us, our generation, you know, we remember exactly where we were when we found out about uh, the planes hitting the towers and September 11th. And, uh, you were the person that told me, and, uh, we were going to the same high school at the time you were living with us and and playing in Chicago. And, um, I remember walking past you in between, I think it was first and second period, or maybe it was second and third period. And, uh, you go tof, there's a plane that just hit the world train center. Like, I think we're under attack. And I was like, you know, for everybody listening knows how much of a clown my cousin is. (laughs) I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, okay. Like whatever. And you were like, no dude, seriously, like. I think we might be, like, going to war. And I was like, okay, like, that's kind of weird. It's just so random and so out there. Like, that doesn't happen. But then I remember going to my next class, and we had a TV in the room, and the teacher had put on CNN. And, uh, you know, you see everything that was going on. And, and at the beginning, it was just the first plane that had hit, so you didn't really know what was happening. And then I remember distinctly watching the second plane on TV hit and uh, just being like, wow, like he, you don 't understand how big of a deal that was at the time, but um i just uh, you know I just wanted to take take a second here to to thank. You know, just thank everybody that's involved in, in making you know, America the country it is today. Um, you know, the soldiers that, that put their lives on the line, the first responders that were there on September 11th and continue to be there when, when things are tough. Um, you know, I actually texted Noelle Needham today. They had a huge tornado uh, go through Sioux Falls yesterday. Um, so she's okay and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, even but even like the teachers and, and people who are in the coaches and, and uh, everybody that's kind of molded the next generation, I think. Days like today that are a little somber, um, they also allow us the time to kind of st- take a step back and reflect and, and understand how lucky we are not only to, to have the things that we are but just by pure luck we were able to be born in, in this great country with the freedoms that we have and uh, i 'm extremely proud to, to be an American. Um, I feel extremely lucky the fact that, like I said I was, I was born in this country and was able to you know to thrive with with our freedoms and and uh, so just a, certainly a day of reflection and encourage everybody to you know just to reflect on how lucky we are and and how great we have it because I know a lot of times things get kind of crazy and uh there's a lot of times when you know maybe we think that things aren't going our way and our life isn't that great but at the end of the day we have a lot to be grateful for um and and certainly being an American is one of them for me
1: well said my friend well said and I, I to add to that too like I just think about firemen policemen yeah you know, totally. the, 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 national guard, like uh, military personnel, like all these people that literally risk their lives daily by doing the job they do. Maybe that doesn't mean that they're in harm's way every day, but it, it could be every single day, something could happen where it's their job to save the rest of the citizens or put themselves, put themselves in harm's way. And, uh, you know, every time now I, I see somebody that's, you know, a, a military personnel, a policeman, a fireman, I, I try my hardest to walk up to them, look them in the eyes, shake their hand and say thank you. And I can't tell you like how happy their face is when I do that. You know, yeah. there's a bunch of policemen that work out at a gym that I was working out last year. And, you know, obviously I knew they were do. they weren't just, you know, average Joe. These guys were like diesel. They wound up being like a bunch of SWAT guys. So they're like pretty big badasses. And one day they all were wearing like their shirts and I saw the cop cars pull in when they, when they parked. So I went up and I said, Hey, you guys, you know, police, like all around SWAT. And I was just like, Hey man, I just want to say thank you so much for what you do. Like, it's really crazy putting yourself in harm's way for all of us peons, but I really appreciate it. And, you know, they sat there and talked to me for like 10 minutes. They were so happy. I came up and recognized their service. Same thing with military people. Like they're putting their life on the line for us and let's not forget that. And let's say thank you to them.
0: Yeah, for sure we wouldn't uh we wouldn't have what we have today without without those people for sure. And uh very very grateful for for having them, uh, around and, uh, you know, freedom doesn't come free, man. I mean, people have sacrificed a lot to, for us to be able to have the things that we do. And, uh, and I think it's really cool to have Brian, who's one of the top American born players of all time, you know, on this day of, of reflection, um, and specifically him being inducted into the American hockey hall of fame too. I just think that's really cool. And he's such a, you know, such an ambassador for the kind of, Positivity that our country, you know, has, and uh, you watch the news or you go on Twitter or Instagram, and there's a lot of negativity out there. Uh, but we're very, very fortunate to to be Americans, and um, I know there's a lot of Canadians listening to to this podcast, so nothing against you, but uh, certainly this is a day of of reflection for us. So um, I think we've we've certainly talked enough here on this intro, and uh, want everybody to to hear the the message that that Brian conveys. He's such a great guy. And, uh, you know, if you can, um, you know, if, if you like what uh, what Brian has to say or, or what uh, what we do on this podcast, you know, like us, uh, share us with your friends, share us on social media, uh, try to get those positivity uh, vibes that we're trying to create uh, out there to the public. And uh, we appreciate all the support. Again, it was really cool that that Brian actually listens to the podcast uh, with his kids on the way to the rink. That's why we do it. Um, so appreciate his time, appreciate his words. And without further ado one of the top American-born hockey players of all time, Brian Gionta. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast the newest member of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, Brian Gionta. Brian, how are we doing today?
2: Thanks, boys. Uh, I'm doing good. How about you?
0: Oh, can't complain. Can't complain. It's a good day. Got a little two-week-old. Actually got some sleep last night, so... uh Can't complain about that, you know?
2: (laughs) Congrats, man. Congrats. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Thanks, thanks. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on and and speak to us about your journey, talk a little shop. Um, But your journey started not too far away from where I am right now, up in Rochester, New York. So uh, if you can, just kind of talk to us a little bit about how you fell in love with the game and and what kind of got you into the sport.
2: Uh, You know, it's uh, growing up Western New York, obviously the winters are, pretty harsh. So, uh, I grew up in a family of, of three boys and, uh, my parents, my dad can't skate a lick. Um, (laughs) and my mom, my mom put us in, you know, skating lessons to kind of keep us busy in the long winters, get us something to do. And, uh, we all fell in love with the game. We all played, uh, you know, travel hockey, youth hockey growing up. And obviously, uh, me and my younger brother were fortunate enough to have careers in the NHL. So. it all started with with a dad who couldn't skate and a mom who uh, wanted us to be busy uh, throughout the winters.
0: <laughs> That's good. You got to stay busy somehow up in these brutal winters. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. well, how, how cool is that? Kind of growing up with with three brothers that that played the game. Um, and you mentioned your brother Steve too, who had a long career um, in the NHL and pro hockey. Um, do you attribute a lot of your success to kind of that competition growing up with them?
2: For sure. Uh, me and my older brother were. I want to say like three and a half years apart. And then uh, Steven's probably four and a half years younger. So we're all kind of real competitive with each other. Uh, We just love the game. We love being outside, uh, playing street hockey, playing knee hockey in the basement, uh, being on the pond across the street, uh, things like that. Uh, We we always had a stick in our hands. We always wanted to be playing hockey. Uh, We just loved it. And that competitive nature for sure uh, rubbed off on each other.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, let me ask you this because you're, you're steeped and we talked a little bit about this before uh, we got on, but you're steeped in the youth hockey culture now with uh, you know, with a couple of your sons that are playing right now. And uh, you mentioned the the ball hockey and the street hockey and the pond hockey. And I feel like that's something that's really, really lost nowadays. Um, is that, I mean, I feel like every skid is just every kid is just like so over scheduled and it's nuts. Um, is that something that you try and kind of bring the fun out of it with your kids when you're talking to them about hockey and, and helping them to develop? And even with your daughter that plays soccer as well, Is just kind of getting back to the roots and making sure that it's fun.
2: Yeah, there's nothing better than that. Um, I, I think I'm a big proponent of, of time away. Um, you know, it, it, when hockey season ends, uh, take a little break, maybe do a spring tournament or something like that. But for the most part uh kind of get away from the game and you can kind of see it naturally as they uh, as the summer wears on and august hits uh they get out in the yard more and they're they're playing street hockey more they're uh shooting pucks more uh they're rollerblading more and so you can kind of see it in them as it grows they get away from it and then uh they get that longing to be back at it and i, I just think the grind of, of of one sport athlete or um you know, uh, doing it too much, overscheduling them. Let them have time away from the rink. Let them be unstructured in the driveway or let them be uh, shooting balls on a a soccer net in the backyard. Let them just be messing around with the ball or, or, or doing things like that.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, you're coming from you know over 16 years playing professional hockey, and that's a grind. And now you're kind of like in the youth hockey circuit, and and you're coaching your kids. And like, how like how does that grind compare to like the grind of uh, of a 16 year NHL career? <laughs> is it
2: is it similar? <laughs> well, yeah, I I kind of likened it to what I needed, right? Like, um, you know, you go through the grind of the season, uh, the prep leading up, and then you know, you get knocked out of playoffs and, and that's a grind and you've been going all year. I needed to step away. Uh, you know, you, you took your time away from the ice and got your body back in, uh, whether that's stretching yoga back into, back into shape, ready to kind of grind in the weight room. And then, uh, as July hit, you're starting to get on the ice a little more. And then as August hits, you're really ramping up. And, uh, so I, I, kind of bring my philosophy for my own career out onto my kids and uh you know making them you know love the game hopefully when they come back to it and not uh just being immersed in it uh 24 7 uh throughout the year
0: yeah, that's awesome. That's that's something we talk about all the time here on the podcast, too. And and uh, even as a coach, like when I was recruiting in college hockey, um, when you took some time off in the summer, once that August-September recruiting season came up, you were like kidding. Like it was Christmas. Like you couldn't wait to get back out yep. on the road and just that balance, however tough it is to to kind of get that balance is, is so, so important. So um, totally, totally agree for sure. And uh, I want to switch gears a little bit because uh, I wanted to ask you, so we've had Marty St. Louis and... And Danny Briere on the podcast, um, two smaller guys that have unbelievable NHL careers and, and you, um, ha, you know, are the same as those two guys. And uh, questions that I asked him was um, as a smaller player, you kind of have to be a little nuts. Like, you, you, like to succeed at your level like you have to have a little bit of a screw loose and I was talking to actually Chris Collins who's a mutual friend I know uh, today and, and he was talking to me about how you uh, were five years older than him and you were kind of the reason why a lot of those guys at his age in Rochester made it because they were able to watch you play um, and succeed as, as well as you did and he specifically remembers a time where he went to go watch you play in juniors um, and you were one of the, the youngest guys on the team you went up to Canada you were playing in this packed barn against a bunch and 19 and 20 year olds. And not only did you have like three or four points, but you also hurt two or three guys too, just from playing on the edge. <laughs> um, so just uh, as a smaller player, kind of take us through your mindset. And, and obviously, obviously was a smaller player too. So would love to hear what you have to say, you know, as you were going through and, and competing out there on the ice.
2: Well, it's a, a few different things, right? Like I never saw myself I never saw, let's put it, my size as a disability. I uh, I just loved the game. I wanted to go out there and compete. And kind of what fueled you was uh, the fact that no one kind of uh, gave you that first look or, or uh, the benefit of the doubt. You always had to go out there and prove prove that you could be at that level or, or prove that, uh, you know, you could play despite your size. Um but I didn't go in the corner thinking, Oh, I I'm giving away 30, 40 pounds and, and a foot away from this guy. You know, it, it's just, you go in and you, you try to battle for the puck. You try to win your one-on-one battle. And, um, you know, it was a constant having to prove that I can make that next level. And I think it made me a better, better player, better individual, uh, cause nothing was handed to me, um, at every level, whether it be going from squirt to peewee and now you're hitting and, uh, you know, you're a good skater, you're a good player, but now you're going to get hit by the bigger guys or, you know, making that jump from, uh, into junior or into college, uh, into the pros, it was always the same. It was okay. Well, you did well at this level, but it's not the same at the next level. And you, uh, you know, never, I never had that, that first look, uh, I had people throughout my career that, um, believed in me and, and gave me a shot. Um, a few of those, obviously, a junior coach and Chris Hicks, and and then um, uh, Jerry York at BC, and and Lou Lamelo and, and David Conte uh, in New Jersey. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for guys like that that believed in me and, and gave me a shot and and knew that I could make it um, and gave me that opportunity, uh, I don't know that I would have had this, this 16-year career I had.
1: Let me ask you this. You talk about, you know, being a smaller player and going into the corner, giving up 30, 40 pounds. Was it way different in the beginning of your NHL career compared to the end going into those corners with the rule changes and the, you know, got guys used to be all about like get strong and like be a meathead and not as agile. And you being a smaller player, being agile is probably, you know, an an advantage actually, but was there a big difference in, in the way like the down low battles were for you personally
2: as your career went Uh, on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, early on, uh, with the clutching and grabbing, I, I played in that era at the end of that era and, uh, you had to work for your, your space, uh, you had to work to be a good forechecker, checker, right? Uh, guys could grab you guys could uh, hold on to you. Um, so you, you had to find different ways uh, to get away from that. And then as the game evolved, um, you had to use your speed and mobility uh, to take away time and space. Right. So um, it was, it was a kind of, I enjoyed being a part of both uh, types of, of uh, leagues, I guess. Um, you know, you had your big, mat the chucks and your your prongers it would just grab you in front and as a small guy you just had to keep moving you had to you know time when you got into those dirty areas uh be able to pop in and out of them and, and not let them get a hold of you and then as, as time went on uh you really needed to use your speed uh to get in on the forecheck and, and create some havoc so uh it was a little bit of an evolution that way
0: yeah, that's uh, that's so interesting. Just the the fact that you got to play in, in both those eras, um, and just the way that the game has has changed. Um, you, when you got a little bit older, and and uh, the league has obviously gotten younger and stuff. Did, what were some of the things that you did to kind of change the way that you played and how you thought about the game?
2: Well, I, I think one thing, obviously, my skating uh, helped. Uh, maybe you know play a few more years uh, because the, the NHL now is so fast and and uh, quick and things happen so uh, so quickly out there that you had to be able to be mobile and you had to be able to skate Um, but I I think I kind of you know bring it back to the start of my career where you come out of college and you're a goal scorer and you go into an established New Jersey devil team that's won two cups in five years and um, you have to fight for a spot you got to find a way uh, to stay in the league and uh, that way was being a checking forward uh, with uh, Madden and Pandolfo and, and a shutdown role, um, not expected to score every night, um, being on the penalty kill, not the power play. And so I had to kind of uh, learn that side of the game and, and be willing to do those types of things. And then in the middle of my career, you were kind of expected to be the scorer. Uh, you're the go-to guy um, to push some offense. And then towards the end of my career, it was a switch back to Okay, let's be a third, fourth line energy guy, kill some penalties, uh, move up and down the lineup when there's some injuries. Uh, you know, if that's first line or if that's uh, some power play time. It, 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 it helped me uh, stay in the league a few more years, being able to adjust uh, my game according to what the team needed at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's due to having to come into a New Jersey team that was established and, and find it a way to stick. We talk about that
1: New Jersey team and somebody uh, who we've had on the podcast early on. And one of my good buddies here in St. Louis is Cam Jansen. Any, uh, yeah, you laugh right away. I love it. Any, I, saw, I was playing in a, in a charity game with them the other night. Uh, any stories about the camel that you have that are able to be told on a, a podcast such as ours?
2: It was, uh, we had a great time, man. Uh, he's a great guy. And you know what? the he was undersized and definitely undersized for the role he was playing and uh for him to carve out a career like he did, uh it, it's pretty amazing. Uh not a ton of skill, just pure work ethic and, you know, take a fight two and a half minutes with the biggest guys out there. And uh he's just willing to do whatever it took. And I, I loved uh seeing him succeed and have the success he did and go back home to St. Louis and and have that experience. But yeah, I mean, we had some good times. It was, uh, it was really good. (laughs) <laughs> good man That's yeah awesome.
0: well you uh you mentioned uh the devils and you, you graduated from bc um and uh in your second year full-time playing in the nhl you end up winning a stanley cup in 2003 uh if you can kind of take us through what that was like as a younger guy and and looking back now being retired um just putting it into perspective how how incredible it was but also maybe um how hard it is to to win a stanley cup
2: too yeah. Absolutely. Um, you don't take it for granted, for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had it happen early on in the sense that, hey, I was able to win and, and accomplish uh, a lifelong dream of lifting the Stanley Cup. Um, but I was lucky. I came into a team that had the likes of a Broder, a Scotty Stevens, a Ken Danico, a uh, uh, Niedermeyer, a uh, Neuendight, like Langenbrenner, guys like that that <laughs> had won cups. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. You look back and how many hall of famers we had on the team. And um, even the young guys, you had Gomez and Madden and Pandolfo guys that uh, great careers, multiple cups. Um, so I, I was fortunate to come into a team like that. And uh, You had some good teams. I had some good teams in Montreal. We went to the conference finals with, and you could have won a cup with, and you, you really see how hard it is and how much has to kind of, uh, go your way. Uh, we had one year where we had an unbelievable run where you're riding the tails of Halak, and he's uh, stealing stealing games and series against uh, Washington and Pittsburgh. Um, but then you had a year where uh, we had a much better team to go to the conference finals and Carey Price gets hurt. I mean, uh, if he doesn't get hurt, maybe you win a Stanley Cup that year. So you, you see how uh, so many factors play into it. Uh, healthy. Uh, you have to have the right makeup of the team. Uh, a lot of things have to align. So every year when the cup is awarded, uh, it's amazing to see the sacrifices those guys put in, and and how much has to go right for them to win.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, just the right culture in the locker room too. I got to imagine is a huge piece of that. And you know, you come into New Jersey, say so you got a lot of guys that were. Um, you know steeped in that culture that had been there for a while but one guy I wanted to ask you about who you know we obviously mutually know is Joe Neuendijk. Um and I know that uh, he was an older guy there and kind of took you under his wing and he's one of the top leaders uh, of all time in the NHL you look at his resume with the Stanley Cups and the Smice and all that kind of stuff um, if you can just kind of talk to us a little bit about what that mentorship was like for you and then uh, you know you were a captain in the NHL you wore a C for seven seasons um, is that something that you kind of that took to heart as the older guy once you got a little bit longer in your career?
2: Absolutely. Uh, So Newandike and Langenbrunner uh, came over halfway through my first year on a trade for Arnott and McKay. Um, And right away, uh, those guys took me under the wing. Uh, It was dinner at their house. Um, It was, hey, uh, dinner on the road. You're you're coming with us. You're not being left behind. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for for Joe and and Jamie, I think at the time, uh, I wouldn't have felt as comfortable. I wouldn't have broken in and, and had that comfort level to go out and play my game. And, you know, I, I hope that I was able to kind of steal some things from them because I have nothing but the utmost respect and, uh, for Joe and, and what he's been able to do in the game and what he did for me personally. So you try to, uh, take bits and pieces of guys you played with, but I tried to take a lot of what Joe did and and kind of flip that to some of the younger guys, uh, throughout the years I was in Montreal and Buffalo. And, uh, if I could be half as good as what he was to me, uh, I think I've done a, a good job. So it's, uh, he's a great friend of the day. Still keep in touch and, uh, you know, a hall of famer to take in some, you know, little runt from Western New York <laughs> in my first year. Uh, it's amazing. You know, that you, you, look back and you're like, he, he didn't have to give you a time of day and he didn't have to do anything. And uh, he really took me under his wing, and uh, I'll be forever grateful to him for it. Yeah, for sure.
0: He's he's one of the best and, and I was lucky enough, my freshman year at Cornell, so Joe's a Cornell grad um, was the lockout year so he was in Ithaca and he was skating with us uh, all the way up until they canceled the season and uh, I'll never forget it because, you know, as a younger kid it's a little bit different now but when we were growing up, preparation specifically for practice was never like that big of a deal you just kind of showed up and practiced and worked, as long as you were working your, your best in practice, that was kind of like all that was asked of you. But I remember walking in and every day for at least an hour before practice, Joe was getting his body ready and he was doing things. And I just remember watching him being like, it was such a great learning moment for me just to kind of see him do his thing. And he was such a great guy too, like to us. And, and, uh, I remember he was teaching us how to take face-offs and stuff. One of the top face-off guys of all time. And, um, can never fricking beat them in a draw. It was insane. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's really, really cool. And, uh, who, who maybe were some of the, uh, some of the other guys in New Jersey, like I find that the culture of the devils specifically at that time to be unbelievable under Lamarillo and the fact that they had went on so many runs and won so many cups, you know, what was the culture like in, uh, in, in New Jersey that allowed you guys to have so much success?
2: I think you got to start at the top with Lou um, and what he's able to do uh, as far as uh, setting that culture, right? Like it, it starts with him. Accountability starts, starts there. And, you know, he really day to day, it's about the little things. Um, you know, it, it's about, you know, not hustling all the way off the ice for a change. You know, he, he's more pissed about that than if you have a turnover that leads to a goal. It's, it's putting your teammate in a bad position and uh, those are the types of things that, that matter more to him than a, a mental mistake or a physical mistake on the ice. Um, and so it, it started there, and then it, it carried on to the likes of, you know, some of the coaches I had there, Larry Robinson, uh, Pat Burns, um, guys that, uh, you know, had a ton of respect in that room and, and were able to keep everybody accountable. And uh, I, I think after that, you, you walked down to about six, of Famers that were in that room that um, knew what it took to win and, and knew what it took to build a team. And so uh, it all just kind of aligned And uh, I think uh, obviously Lou at the top was a big part of that. And you see the success he's had in different organizations that he's gone to now uh, after leaving New Jersey. Um, it's not by accident.
1: Well, I love that you said, you know, a, a simple thing like changing hard, skating all the way to the bench. You know, this podcast is primarily geared towards, you know, hockey players, hockey parents, helping the next generation. And I'm always talking about like little things like that. And Toph and I, we had somebody on this podcast, and now we've kind of adopted this mantra: like how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you're focusing on those little details, if you're always sprinting all the way to the bench, if you're always talking on the ice, if you're always scanning on the ice, even in practice. Those little things are going to make you do other little things because you'll realize how important every little detail is. And for the coaches that are listening, like I would much rather have you teach and enforce that way of thinking than a system. Teach them how important all those little details are because when you add up, I, I always say they're like little blocks. You stack up this block, then you add this other little block. then well, Once you start stacking those little things, all of a sudden now your blocks are 10 feet high. As opposed, to just focusing on that one big thing, scoring the goal, getting the assist, getting the win, that's not going to help kids at the next level. Like focusing on those little blocks, that's going to build them into the player and the person outside of the rink that we're trying to get them to be.
2: Absolutely, I mean that's uh, exactly. I mean the, the goal doesn't happen unless all the little things leading up to it uh, uh, go right, or it, it's it may seem like a little thing. You took a 55 second shift where you should have been at 35 40, Um, but but those little things matter throughout the course. And if you're if you're the type of person that's not willing to kind of do those types of things, then it's only going to hurt your culture, your team, and and you know what are it's what you do kind of when people aren't looking, right? So those are the little things that are overlooked. Uh, shift length, or, or coming back all the way to the bench and uh, giving your your buddy on the bench the best possible chance to succeed in his shift. It's those things might be not not be seen all the time, but those are are tell you the character of the player. So if you're kind of watching games and you thought he, you can kind of feel what type of player uh, or what type of kid uh, he is by those little habits, right? Like, is he putting his his teammate in the best position to succeed? Is he carrying the puck into dead and then moving it and, and kind of screwing the guy next to him uh, with how he plays uh, to me, that's as, as a youth coach, that those are the things I'm looking for. And those are the things I'm trying to change and, and help kids realize that those things are more important. And you can tell whether a guy's selfish or not by how he uh, conducts himself in those little situations.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I always point my team's, towards looking at like Paul Stasny who we've had on the podcast too and I I grew up playing with and Toph played in select tournaments with with us together and you know growing up he was never I mean still not a flashy player but he's played in the NHL you know straight out of college has never played a game in the minors like been an NHL all-star a captain on all the teams he's been on like He's not flashy whatsoever. Like there'd be games where you don't even notice him. And then he comes out with four points. He's plus three. He had six block shots. And it's like, wait, he did all that? I barely noticed him. But he was just he was doing every little thing right that would contribute to the big things. It is just so crazy how those little things just add up over time.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, well, little things are are certainly important. Um, but you mentioned scoring goals. <laughs> we had a great uh, a great conversation uh, with Derek Whitmore a couple podcasts ago um, on scoring goals. But you know, you're a guy that that scored 48 one year and almost 300 goals in your career. Um, so one of the things that I love to do is I love to ask guys who score goals because I was more of a like a passer. Like I like, wasn't allowed to shoot on the power play. <laughs> if I shot on the power play, I got in trouble. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do is kind of ask you, um, what was your mindset going into maybe going into games or what are some things that you did in practice to kind of put you in that frame of mind? Like, Hey, I'm, I'm a goal scorer. Cause I, I don't understand that. Uh, I've never had that. So, um, what do you think is attributes to, to all those goals that you scored throughout your career?
2: Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it was, if you look back a lot of the goals that are scored and I think a lot of the goals I scored were within that five, 10 feet of the net. Right. So you got to be able to get to those dirty areas. Uh, you got to be willing to pay that price. Um, but you got to find some, some time and space to be able to get the look you want. And, uh, you, you make a lot of, you have a lot of reps in practice where you're coming in and shooting, um, and in a game, if you get three good looks, three good chances in the game, that's a lot. And so you have to be able to mentally be prepared to, okay, this is my chance. Uh, I've created this, and now I have to capitalize on it. And so you have to be able to, to create those chances, but you also have to be uh, able to capitalize in a short amount of, of, of chances. Uh, you're not going to go out every game and create ten chances. Uh, and be able to convert on one or two. So uh, you got to find a way to – me, it was battling in front. It was tips. It was doing whatever it took to have that second, third effort to to get that chance. Um, it was finding time and space for myself coming out of the corner uh, where you could get open. Um, those were the little things I worked on, uh, whether it was in practice or not, uh, taking reps from from D-men who were sifting them in, and you're trying to tip them kind of like Tavelski does, right? Uh, you see them after practice. Uh, working on those things, those are ways that you can create yourself uh, chances without even, uh, you know, like we have said, being flashy about it, right? You're you're finding time in in the slot, you're being an abrupt presence, and you're creating a chance by by a tip or a screen um, that maybe you wouldn't have had. So you get 10, 20 of those over the course of of the season, uh, maybe you've gotten yourself three, four more goals. um, You know, little things like that. But I think. Uh, overall, I think Lou is really good with you go into a three, four game slump and you're kind of being hard on yourself. You start thinking as a goal scorer about the end result. You start thinking, I need to score goals. I need to score goals. And you, you get away from what is making you get chances or get opportunities and, and it's come out of your own end clean. It's, it's uh, supporting the uh, puck carrier with, you know, as, as a guy without the puck, being away from the puck, supporting the puck, finding ways to, uh, to, to be in a support position so then you're going to get a better chance. He was always really good with kind of resetting you and thinking about playing the game the right way and in result, you're going to get the chances that you want rather than just trying to go out there and create chances and being worried about the end result of scoring goals or, or not. Like He was more about, hey, play the game the right way, you're going to get your chances uh, just Just do the right things and you'll get rewarded for it.
0: I love that. That's that's awesome. And it's such a good mindset to have because, yeah, at the end of the day, like the work that you put into it and your preparation and focusing on the process, like that's what, that's what's going to get you the results. And, uh, you know, to, to score a lot of goals, you got to do them in a lot of different ways. You got to get lucky. You got to have a few go off your ass and in the net. <laughs> you know, you got to have a few that go <laughs> off the guy's skate that you're trying to pass and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's that's a great message for all the young kids that are Um, that are listening because yeah, goal scoring, it's hard and it's very easy to be streaky at goal scoring. And again, once you get back to kind of like what you were saying, when you're not scoring uh, a lot, uh, you know, you're thinking a lot about, Oh my God, I gotta score. Oh my God, I gotta score. Oh my God, I gotta score. And focusing on that end result instead of focusing on the things that got you there. And uh yeah, I think that's that's such a great message for for kids to hear and for somebody for, of your stature that scored so many goals at the highest level. Um, it's gonna help a lot of kids listen to this podcast for sure.
1: Well, and for the for the coaches too of the of the youth teams like and junior teams listening, like that's what you gotta focus on is you know, guys, guys are going to go into slumps and, and they're going to go a couple games without scoring. And especially if it's a guy who's used to scoring, like go up and talk to him. Don't just leave him like to his own thoughts, because anyone who's, you know, scores a good amount of goals, they go a couple of games and, you know, you start to tighten that stick a little bit. A couple go off the post. You're like, oh, my God, am I ever going to score again? What's going on? <laughs> And it, I mean, it, it happens to all of us, especially elite goal scorers such as myself and Gio. Here. <laughs> um, but uh, but like if you're the coach, like, don't be afraid to go up to that guy. Make a couple jokes with them. Hey, you're not scoring right now. It's OK. You scored a ton of goals in your life. So you're going to start scoring again. But. To score them again, we need you to get back to the basics. Focus on what made you score, and just talk to them and show them video. Hey, look, I know you scored here, but this is why you scored. It started because of that stick lift back check you made 20 seconds before we turned the puck around on a three-on-two when you wind up being the trailer and scoring. Like, show them why they were scoring, and and talk to them. Don't just leave that guy out in an island to just drown in his own negative thoughts. Like that—that's the worst thing that can happen.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, mean, I it's, s- uh, it's, go ahead. It's,
0: sorry, go. Toast. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're the guest on the podcast. It's, Everybody it, wants it, to hear it, what you <laughs> have to say. No, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it,
2: it is. It's, 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 it's so mental, um, that that's a huge part and you got to know as a coach, I think when to be hard and, uh, when to kind of build guys up, right? Like, uh, you need a little of both. Uh, you need to be able to, uh, be hard when they need it. And you need to be able to be that, uh, calming force and and that uh, kind of pat them on the back and tell them everything's going to be all right when that's needed too.
0: Yeah, definitely. I remember watching this clip uh, on social media. I think it was last year, but it was with uh, Steph Curry and Steve Kerr. And uh, it's them, and they're on the, on the bench during probably like a media timeout or something. And uh, Steph Curry, like his body language isn't great. You can tell he's kind of frustrated. And they have Steve Kerr mic'd up, and he's, he shows them a clipboard. And he says, yeah, like you're not shooting very well right now, but look at all these other stats. You know, you're driving pace. Like your plus minus is really good. There's so many other things that you're doing that's facilitating everybody else. Thank <laughs> you to be really good, and uh, although you're not scoring, he was a scorer, you're not scoring at the pace that you'd like, you're, look at all this other stuff that you're doing as well, and it was just such a profound video of you know one of the top coaches in basketball today with one of the top players in basketball, and number one, even the top players in sports go through slumps, it's not always easy for those guys, um, but but two, like yeah, like you guys are both saying, um, having a coach being able to, to put you in the right frame of mind um, and and get your focus Back on doing the little things and the things that you're doing right, I think that's that's so big for any player's confidence, whether it's a kid or whether it's you know a top player in the sport. Absolutely. So, uh, well, absolutely. Cool. Well. From from hockey wise, there's good good discussion there. But I want to talk leadership with you a little bit because, uh, as I mentioned before, you played parts of 16 seasons in the NHL. Nine of those seasons you wore a letter, and uh, and seven of those you wore a C. And uh, one of the things that I really like to do when I go around and talk to coaches, I did team building with BC last year, so got the chance to, um, you know, have an in depth conversation with Jerry York about how he builds his culture. And one of the questions I always ask is like, who who's a guy that really did it right? You know who's a guy that came in and and you were like this guy's gonna make it and why and uh, the the name that Jerry said was was you and 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 what he said why was just how. Um how consistent you were in your preparation to be the best player in the country. And he knew what he can expect from you day in and day out. And uh, so I wanted to ask you just how important was that to you? Just in just your preparation every day in doing even those little things that we were talking about that allowed you um, to be the player that you ended up being.
2: Yeah, for sure. My mindset around that, I I think is, uh, in order to be consistent, you have to have a routine. You have to have um, a, a consistent uh, work ethic, preparation, all those things. So, for me, it was coming to the rink and, and making sure you're ready and prepared, whether it was for practice or a game, and 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 finding a consistent uh, routine um, with that. Okay, you come to the rink and and what is going to make me be my best? What's going to keep me consistent day in and day out? And uh, that may change in the sense that your your body may need some work uh, mentally, you may need some work uh, or, or skill wise. You, you need to improve on something. Uh, I'm, I got a hitch in my shot, or, or I'm I'm not seeing the ice a certain way. So you got to adjust. But uh, it was trying to be consistent on my day to day preparation, and and kind of like what you talked about with Newandike, it was coming to the rink, it was preparing yourself to be the best in practice. So then, as it came to game time you had already uh, practice at a high level that whatever you saw in the game, you were going to be prepared for. Um, if you come to the rink and, and you're not mentally, physically prepared for practice, when you get out of the game, you're going to be overwhelmed with certain scenarios that you see. So uh, for me, practice is uh, giving yourself a chance uh, to see different things that you're going to be exposed to in the game. And so trying to mimic Uh, those game situations throughout practice as much as possible uh, is what I tried to do and and how I tried to prepare myself uh, day in and day out. And I I think I never wanted to be a player that was outworked. And so that was, that gave me the best chance I could do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And So how hard, like scale of one to ten? One of the things we talked about on the podcast all the time is like practices have to be harder than games. So in the games it's almost like easy and you have to compete so hard with your teammates and, and raise that standard. How, how hard did you compete in practice and how important was that to you?
2: No, it was huge. It was a a big part of, of trying to make it, uh, whether it's college or pro and trying to stick when you're at the pro level Uh, your first few years, you, you have to be on. Uh, every pass matters in practice because uh, you're a young guy, you're trying to stick in the league and, and there's plenty of other people that are coming along trying to take your job uh, year to year. So um, you have to continue to work on, on your craft and, and be at the best. If you if you kind of let things go, uh, that's when other people kind of catch you. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to you know, carve out a, a, a long career and I, I think uh, a lot has to do with the prep that went into it, the consistency in my lifestyle, uh, on and off the ice.
0: That's cool. Well, that, uh, that consistency in lifestyle landed you, um, a pretty sweet contract in Montreal and, and, uh, you know, not too long after you arrived there, you were the captain. What was that like as an American born player being the captain of Montreal Canadians? Was that you know, at times kind of daunting? Was it, uh, was it pretty cool take us through that experience?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, the Bell Center, Montreal, uh, there's nothing like it uh, in the league. Uh, the pressure that comes with it, the excitement around the team, um, all of it is uh, everything that everyone kind of hypes it to be. The media attention, um, all that. I was fortunate uh, to go to Montreal as a as a more mature, established player. Um, would it have been the same if I went as a young guy? Who knows, but I think the foundation that I had with with the New Jersey Devils organization helped me uh, through those hard times in Montreal. And so, um, you know, I, I think uh, coming in and we had a ton of change over my first year in Montreal, uh, a ton of free agents came in. Uh, they had changed over the coaching staff um, and, and Bob Ganey had brought in a, a ton of guys. And so what they did is they had assistant captains my first year there. And I think, that helped all of us get comfortable uh, in the setting uh, of Montreal and, and the pressures of Montreal. And it allowed us to go out and play and not worry about that, where if they named the captain right away, um, you would have been worried about that. The captaincy on top of the pressures of Montreal and, and on top of coming in on a oh, big so. contract, uh, all those things. You know what I mean? So I, I think that transition period helped, helped everyone, all the, uh, you know, the leadership group in Montreal that, that kind of came in, I think it helped us all. And especially me as, as captain, I didn't have to walk in on a big contract uh, to a new city with a ton of pressure. Um, I was able to go out and play my game and, and kind of uh, show my game to the, the fans and the media. And then when I was captain the second year, uh, they had known what I was all about. Um, they knew how I played day in and day out and how I uh, tried to be consistent, hardworking every shift. So um, you know, those off times that you might have had in your game, uh, they knew what you were about. And, uh, you know, my time in Montreal was unbelievable. I wouldn't change it for the world. And uh, the pressures of being there are awesome in the sense that that's what gives that city uh, so much uh, passion for their team um, is having people that are that are there every day uh, watching what you're doing. And so I, I loved it. Uh, it helped that I was a more mature player. Um, and uh, the fans – uh, were great to me as an American captain.
0: That's really cool. That's really cool. You obviously had a lot of uh, a lot of great seasons there in Montreal and in New Jersey. Uh, you got to end your career closer to home uh, with the Buffalo Sabers for three years. Um, what was that experience like? Like. I know a lot of times we even talk about on the podcast, you learn a lot from, you know, the times that maybe don't go as well. And you went your entire career and missed the playoffs once, and then you get to Buffalo and and three years in a row, you you don't get to the playoffs. Um, you know, what, what was that experience like in terms of, you know, what did you kind of learn about yourself? Maybe, maybe about building a team in those times that maybe weren't as, as easy there in Buffalo.
2: Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, maybe a little naive in the fact that you thought you could come and and change things so quickly uh, in Buffalo. And and for sure it it was disappointing because I looked at it as as coming in to help change a culture and uh, get a team over the hump to to make in and be in a playoff team. And uh, it was disappointing because I wasn't able to kind of accomplish that. And uh, it it stings for sure. Um, And it's, you you are so used to being on good teams that compete, and so there's definitely challenges day to day that uh, wear on you when when those things aren't happening within an organization, and and you're trying to change it, and uh, it's slower process than you would have liked. Um, so you have to you have to try to do different things. You you have to go back into your bag of tricks and and try to find lots of different uh, things to to help. And it was a daily. Uh, It was a daily thing, uh, trying to constantly uh, find ways to to make your team better or make your teammates better or make the culture better within the room. And, um, you know, it it was disappointing. But at the same time, you learn a lot about yourself and about uh, the league in general and uh, what makes teams successful and what makes teams that aren't uh what makes them not successful so uh it was it was definitely a learning experience i would wish it would have gone uh better than it did and uh as far as on ice stuff but uh you know some things you just continue to plug forward and and uh you're fortunate for the opportunity
1: you talk you've talked a lot about culture on this episode already um obviously that's something that a leader is always thinking about Topher's always talking about it I was always thinking about it when I was playing and and now running my my company in the gym like how I want to lead the guys that I train and stuff like that have you noticed from the beginning of your career towards the end of your career um a difference in the shift in the way that maybe guys are around their teammates, like Toph talks about all the time, you know, back in the day, there were no cell phones on the bus. Guys were always together, always talking, you know, doing stuff like that on planes. And then now it's like, all right, the game's over cell phone. was. It, did you think it was harder towards the end of the career when technology kind of played a role or, or were you like no phones or how did you get around that?
2: Yeah, it's it's hard, right? Uh, everybody's in a different position. Um, for me, it, it was another, distraction to take away from you know kind of that day-to-day unstructured team culture and in team building right uh you get on the plane and you have a couple beers after the game and you're playing cards and you're you're talking things out or you're just hanging and you're learning things about people um learning things about your teammates uh just in those little interactions and and as it went on Uh, you know, you'd have guys on their video games or whatever on the plane or on their phones. And uh, it's definitely harder uh, to manufacture those little moments uh, throughout the year. And so you had to adjust and, and try to do some more team things to, to offset those, those challenges. But uh, I was always a, and, and that's another thing you, you bring back to new index. Uh, He brought me right into the card game, right into their mix, uh, <laughs> playing cards on the plane with them. It was, you know, I was a young guy and, trying to you know, fleece few you were the, uh, <laughs> few of those hard losses. Exactly. <laughs> they benefited a bit from me early on, but it was, it was about being a part of it and, and just, you know, talking and hanging out and, and uh, uh, being with the guys. And uh, you know, it, it carried throughout my whole career. I was always a guy that was on the plane, uh, playing cards with guys, and it wasn't for huge money. It was just to to be a part of it, right? It was just to kind of hang out and and shoot the shit and 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 uh, enjoy those times together. And, and those are some of the things that you miss about being away from the game. Uh, those moments, uh, you miss playing the game, you miss being on the ice, uh, but you miss jumping on the plane and and uh, you know giving each other crap over over something stupid, right? Like it's just uh, those are the moments that uh, you look back on and and you wish you had...
0: Yeah, big time. I mean, I'm getting some nostalgia right here just even hearing you talk about it because I think we can all kind of empathize and remember those, you know, specifically the card games at, at the back of the bus. And even if you weren't playing cards at the time, you could still hear the card game and hear the camaraderie and hear people <laughs> giving each other crap and stuff. And uh, let me ask you this, just a quick little question. As a as a rookie, as a younger guy, did you feel like you had to maybe lose a little bit to kind of gain some trust? Like you didn't want to be fleecing Scott Stevens or, you know, Scott Niedermeyer at the, uh, you know, just, just at d- your first time. Time.
2: <laughs> I don't think I don't think they worry about that I wasn't very good my first couple of years there was a new game of was snarps and uh oh yeah I, they took enough of my they took enough of it uh, that I didn't have to feel like feel bad anytime I won I think a couple times that year they kind of just they purposely let me win to make me feel good and to kind of give me some of my <laughs> money back yeah because <laughs> you know like you're going against the Noondike who's made a ton of money and and you're you're new and your contract's not the same and so you're like, oh, man, 100 bucks. Oh, jeez. You know what I mean? What am I going to do? I said, oh, I can't lose that. And for him, he's just like, ah, it's just another, you know, little bit. But, uh, you know, you stretch over as a young guy and as an old guy, you're like, ah, go get a kid. Enjoy, it. A, enjoy a couple more beers on me.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, you know now you're uh, now you're imparting your wisdom on on the younger generation, and and, uh, and we've had a few text conversations and stuff about uh, kind of youth hockey today. And um, what's it been like, you know, coaching your kids and and kind of stepping aside and and being a coach now for uh, for the younger generation coming up?
2: Well, I love it just uh, for the chance I get to, to spend with my kids. Um, you know, you go. Uh, the NHL is, is a a great life and it's afforded me a lot of, a lot of things. Um, But one of the things I've always missed is, is those times with the kids, uh, their tournaments, uh, their games, uh, day-to-day practices, uh, dinners with them at at home. Uh, Those are the times that uh, you can never get back. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in a position that I don't have to rush into doing something else right now. And I can really enjoy the family time and, and, having a dinner with the family and then going off to the rink and, and having those conversations in the car, right? Like, uh, you know, it's about a 25 minute drive to practice for my oldest. And it's those moments that you get to talk with them. I mean, that's the moments I have with my dad, those drives, uh, to tournaments, Uh, you know, he's his, you know, as a kid, you're like, Oh man, another life lesson for my dad. But those are the moments that you enjoy. And so now I'm trying to get those out of my kids and, and just, seeing them do what they enjoy to do. Uh, I don't care what it is. It could be, uh, an instrument. It could be, you know, science. Uh, it could be a sport just watching them get enjoyment out of, out of what they're doing, uh, brings a lot of, uh, enjoyment to me, a lot of pride to me to, uh, to see them doing the things they love. And, you know, the boys love hockey. My daughter loves soccer and I love supporting all three of them, uh, the same way. And, uh, you know, youth hockey can get crazy and you can lose perspective on what's important. Uh, for me, it, it's that. It, it's the time with your kids. Um, it's it's the structure. Uh, it's the discipline that, that sports teaches your kids to be a better, better person in life. And uh, the whole mentality of, of trying to build a D1 athlete or a, a pro athlete um, has really gotten clouded in youth sports. And I think it needs to change in the sense that, hey, uh, if they're doing something they love, they're going to be a better person. They're going to stay more disciplined. Um, It's going to make them a better teammate in their job. Uh, It's going to make them less selfish in the workplace when they get older. Um, Those are the things that I hope sports bring to my kids.
1: And just keeping kids out of trouble, too. Like, I mean. (laughs) Like you? I I mean, like. (laughs) Honestly, though, like I was even if I was going to parties like in high school, like I was like kids are drinking or whatever. I mean, I wasn't into that anyways, but I was like, no, I I can't have a beer like I I got a game tomorrow. Like I'm here for a half an hour to say hi to everybody and then I'm going home, you know, and like other kids in high school, you know, they're doing stupid stuff, college, whatever. And I'm like, no, I got to be dedicated like I can't do that. So it also keeps you on the straight and narrow um, so for parents, like getting them into sports, it's peace of mind too. Um, but on top of that, something that we've asked a lot of people on the podcast, Gio, is like when you were in those car rides with your dad after a game, let's say a bad game that you had probably. Cause that's easier. Good games. We all know great goal. Yada, yada, yada. You got a bad <laughs> game. You don't play well. You make a mistake. What kind of dad was your dad in the car? Was he the guy like going over it? Like you're like, dad, shut up. Like, how was that?
2: My dad was unbelievable. Uh, he never once brought it up. Um, he would always wait for me. Um, he would give honest input, um, but he would wait for me to bring it up. He wouldn't get in the car and be like, "Well, you should have done this on this shift," or, "Or I didn't think you were working hard," or "I didn't think you're focused uh, in that game." Um, if I asked him, you know, what you thought, how you thought I played, it was normally coming from a place that I knew that I had not played my best. Right. So if I'm asking him uh, it's normally because I know deep down, I had some self-recognition that, Hey, I wasn't at my best or, you know, I, I did did something I shouldn't have done or I, I didn't, you know, made a mistake here, made a mistake there. Um, you know, it, it was, he, he was great. He was a counselor, right? He's uh, sometimes he had to bring you down, right? You go out and you score three, four goals and you're feeling good about yourself and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, you know, you you did great on those, but you needed to clean up these areas, right? Like, uh, or if you thought you're hard on yourself and you thought you had a bad game and made a mistake that that maybe cost the game, uh, in your mind, he would build you up. He he used it, it was uh, it was great. I, I try to model myself after my dad in that sense that um, he never put pressure on me to go out there and succeed. It was more of of being self aware of what my game was like uh, being able to look back at my game and be honest with myself and, and with my effort. And it was, it was that it was about effort. If I went out there and worked hard, things didn't go my way. Uh, it didn't matter if I went out there and and dogged it and things went my way. Um, then, you know, he was honest with that. So it it was, uh, it was a very good, healthy, uh, relationship. And hopefully I can have that with my kids.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So as you sit here, you're kind of talking about your dad. You've spoken about your kids. Um, Your career, I mean, you know, let's look at it. You played over a 1,000 games, um, almost 600 points. Uh, You just got inducted in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Congrats, by the way. Unreal. (laughs) Um, You know, Stanley Cup, you you won an NCAA uh, national championship. Um, Yeah, as you kind of sit here today after a year or so to reflect being away from the game, um, how much has this game meant to you in terms of just just the relationships? You know that you even spoke about that's what you missed—the relationships. But you know, all coming back full circle. Um, you know, are the relationships kind of the the reason why it was so enjoyable? And, and uh, just talk about that.
2: Well, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's those things, right? It's uh, if you were to go and, and do all those things and, and not have people to share it with it wouldn't mean anything. And, uh, for me, it was, it was the people I was able to share it with. It was, uh, it was my family. It was my teammates. Uh, it was the support of my wife. It was all those things that make your career enjoyable and, and being able to share it with them and, and have them, uh, share, share in, in your successes. It's, uh, it's hard looking back and, and, you know, going over and and saying, yeah, I won this. I won that. I I was able to do this. I was able to do that. To me, it it was more about the, the journey than, than, than anything else. It was about, uh, the people that I was with. It was about the people that, uh, maybe the, the fans that I touched, the, the kids that I changed their mindset. It was the, it was the mentors that I had. It was the friendships. It was the, those types of things that, that made everything to me. And, uh, uh, I think those are the most important things uh, rather than the accomplishments or the accolades. Um, It's what people maybe say about me or or how they feel about me as a person uh, more so than a hockey player.
0: Well, judging by your character and and from the people that we talked to before the podcast that, that know you, uh, you're one of the best. And uh, on top of being one of the top players, you know, in, in the game for a long time, uh, you're also known as one of the better guys. So, um, we appreciate you taking some time to to share your wisdom with us uh, on our podcast, and uh, you know I, I, I can't say as well as a smaller player, kind of being a few years behind you. You certainly were an inspiration to me too, growing up. So uh, can't thank you enough for all that. Can't thank you enough for coming down and playing in our charity game a couple <laughs> times too, helping us raise some money yeah, for the special yeah. needs community and uh, and all that. So uh, appreciate everything that you've done, and uh, so cool to hear your story and the things that are important to you, and and wish nothing but the best of luck moving forward as as the dad coach uh moniker comes to to you
2: <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I appreciate you guys having me on and uh you know i appreciate what you guys are doing uh i love i'm a big fan of the podcast and and the message you're trying to send out there so uh you know to be a small part of that uh was special for me today and and i think uh like I, obviously our paths will cross I, I love coming down making the yearly trek down to iska for the, the charity game and some years it works out, some days it doesn't. But, uh, you know, I appreciate all you're doing for you talking and the message you're sending.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Geo. Safe travels, and, uh, yeah, I'm sure we will be talking to you soon. Thanks, boys.